0: Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to ShiftingCulturePodcast.com to interact and donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. Previous guests on the show have included Michael Frost, Andrew Root, and Brian Zond. You can go back, listen to those episodes, and more. But today's guest is David Zoll. David is founder and director of Mockingbird Ministries, editor-in-chief of the Mockingbird website, and co-host of The Mockingcast. He and his family live in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he also serves on staff at Christ Episcopal Church. His latest book, Low Anthropology, The Unlikely Key to a Gracious View of Others and Yourself, is the subject of our conversation today. So stick around for a great conversation around curiosity, humility, self-righteousness, parenting, forgiveness and much more. Enjoy this episode with David Zoll. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to to really dive into uh, your latest book, Low Anthropology. to get us started, can you just set us up? What is the definition for you? What is low anthropology, and can you contrast it with high anthropology?
1: Sure. Well, I'm using anthropology. That's a kind of like a a four dollar word, and it's uh I'm not using it as sort of a to to the way that it's often used for people who go to college and and see a course about you know tribes in the rainforest. Like that's not the use that's not the word so right off the bat know that an anthropology is it's the way that theologians and philosophers commonly use that word is a shorthand actually mm. as an abbreviation for your operative view of human nature mm. so yeah. when you say the words i'm only human what do you mean by that like what are the presuppositions what are the assumptions That go into your understanding of what men and women are like, like, what are we good at? What are we not good at? What are we capable of? What are we incapable of? Um, What does it mean to be human? That's a huge Mm. question. But there are, everyone has an anthropology, I'm convinced. I don't think... um, you know, you might say, "Hey, what's your operative view of human nature?" And someone will say, I, "I don't. What are you talking about? I don't have. I don't. I don't work that way or that doctrinaire." But at the same time, we, when it comes to our relationships and our, you know, our certainly our self understanding, we we're all drawing on some conception. Of yeah. uh, what it means to be human, what's fair to expect from another person, what what is unfair to expect from another person. So, a, a low anthropology is a sort of a more sober estimation of human beings. I mean, I'm I'm it's for it's my euphemism for a Christian anthropology or a biblical anthropology, yeah. but it is simply a saying. It's saying that you are um, we are well, we are created in God's image. We are not God and we are creatures with limits and we are also as a result of sort of uh you know our sin in the world we are we are tied in all sorts of knots our, yeah. through our upbringing through our culture through our context through our biology there are simply things that that are that are bigger than we are when it, we're not all we're not completely uh, self uh, uh created or self-dictated mm-hmm. and um that is, I think, ultimately a key to loving other people is understanding that that no one is, is per- not only are no one perfect, we're all sorts, we're conflicted, yeah. we're limited. And in fact, we all have a sort of this burden of self-centeredness that ends up creating, wreaking havoc in the world and in our own lives. Hmm. And then uh, a high anthropology would be a more optimistic view of human nature, a sort of uh, you can have it all, do it all, be it all, just follow your heart. Um, you have it... Um, Look! Look inside. Your intuition will guide you. Um, any most graduation speeches articulate a high anthropology, yep. uh, but it's also it's it's it's. It, those are kind of caricatures. Like you could might just say that a high anthropology defines human beings according to their best days mm. and their greatest achievements. A low anthropology, while not ignoring those things and not sort of discounting those things, it sees as more reliable, a more reliable indicator of humanity is sort of heartache, loss, self-doubt, mm. uh, need and dependency. And that that, is, that actually is the, opens the doorway to Again, compassion, love, yeah. curiosity, courtesy—you name it. Uh, so mm. it's a counterintuitive book, but that's what low anthropology—that's that's the, that's the mm. distinction I'm trying to make.
0: Yeah, I really like that. What is so? How did you get to this this place? What's your story, uh, and how did uh, a low anthropology actually get you to—I don't know—have a more gracious view of yourself um, and other people in the world?
1: Well, uh, Josh, I I work in ministry, and I have for a long time now, twenty years. I've done I did youth ministry and I do college ministry. I do adult education. I'm a I'm a or I'm a, or I'm licensed to preach at our church. <laughs> so I've I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of I've logged some hours in in church life and ministry life and parachurch work as well. And I've just I want I'm I'm very much interested in making the case for God in sort of comp- as compelling as an urgent uh, uh, and e- as an emotional, as well as intellectual case for the reality of God in people's lives. And I, so I, I don't think, I think the doorway in or one doorway in at least is the lens of a low anthropology yeah uh people you know it's it's only the sick that are looking for a doctor it's only a jesus came not to call the righteous but sinners but i i really think that some sense of one's own lack uh is or we're all dealing with it we're all dealing with the the pain and difficulty of being alive and i wanted yeah. a book in for my own ministry that would articulate what it's like to be alive today and to experience that sort of angst or that simply that The um, yeah, the challenge, the burden, uh, and answer it with sort of say, well, this is this is uh, we we believe that 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 God is 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 sort of is not only a helper but also a savior, and that like you you were you were created for relationship with with God. So that's sort of a fancy way to 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 talk about it. I think in my own life. I've noticed that in relationships, the uh, and I could say this in the book, but I think the great enemy of love and harmony in relationships is self-righteousness, mm. uh, not righteousness itself. You know, yeah. the goodness is is goodness, and uh, but to be have a high view of yourself as superior to another person yeah. tends to short circuit any kind of love. To say nothing of ministry, and so I really have the The times that my marriage has gotten tough, or my relationship with my kids, uh, I've uh, humility is almost always a way forward, and self righteousness is almost always a brick wall. Mm. And low anthropology dismantles self righteousness almost wherever it can find it. Just like, I mean, that's just my way of saying that I think, you know, God dismantles self righteousness, right? And so, um. Yeah, I found it to be the great uh, change agent, uh, or at least I, I, th- I think God is the great change agent in the world. Let me, yeah. let me put that, make that very clear. But in terms of my own expectation and mm. uh, interactions with other people, uh, when I have had expected them to be that which they cannot be, yep. I have come to hate them or resent them. <laughs> the same with myself. Yeah. And when I have seen them, as struggling and uh, with the same issues and inheritance mm. that I struggle with. Well, then I've uh, wanted to love them and I could just, I could give you examples, but that's, uh, yeah. uh, and I've, I've, I've also seen it in ministry. I've seen ministers who just bang their, their people in ministry who bang their head against a wall because they want people to give more, do more, uh, you know, pray more, yep. read their Bible more, you know, evangelize more. I don't know what it is. Do more justice work. Um, and uh they 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 think that by shouting it at that that will work but <laughs> they start to over time there's their ministry which be- begins with so much hope ends up getting sort of deep sixed by this high mm. anthropology and it also ultimately it it hurts them themselves yeah. and yet those if I've, when i've seen ministries that are really effective over the long haul they tend to minister out of a uh, greater dependent god uh, uh, they, they they posit a very large god and a very small human and a uh we, we minister out of our weakness out of our yep. vulnerability out of our um honesty
0: wow and that seems to be almost counterintuitive to the way that the American culture uh has has raised us all as to seeing you know it's a very high anthropology view of of the world you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps you could do it you know all you have to do is you know just One more thing. This is why we have so many self-help books out there (laughs) like this is I mean, I don't know what else. What other country in the world has that many self-help books like you could actually get better and you could do this. And, you know, I know know that the percentage of people that are struggling with uh, anxiety and depression has skyrocketed uh, in the last 20 years uh, like never before. And it seems to me that a high anthropology view is saying I can never keep up. I can never be enough and I I can never do enough. And it's kind of catching up to us uh, Mm. as a culture. Um, How can we how can we combat uh, that cultural influence that we have in our in our lives, which is a high anthropology view and live uh, this different way?
1: Oh that's such a good question and I think it partly will depend on where a person is sort of located in their own life and their own relationship with God or what have you but uh, but I do think that the the church or the um, those who follow Jesus have the opportunity to point not to themselves but uh, you know beyond themselves outside themselves to the cross to the resurrection mm-hmm. I think that's a very counterintuitive thing already um, but we also have a confession you know I think that we have a confession that says I'm not uh, by coming into church today I'm confessing that I'm not God that I need God mm. I, or at least that I need help I need the help of other people and ultimately need the help of God and I and I, I yeah I, I believe that people actually respond really well to that mm. um, and Because what you're saying when you do that, you're witnessing not only to your own situation, other people who are surrounding you say, oh, my gosh, I'm not the only one. And so uh, because a culture of high anthropology is a culture of supreme loneliness because it's a situation where we think we come to think just based on appearances, based on social media, based on, you know, headlines. We think we're the only one who doesn't, quote unquote, have it all together, Mm. who is is struggles with doubt, who struggles, who's, who's barely holding on or making it up as they go along. And therefore you sort of feel, you feel this pressure to never, you know, display any weakness in your relationships or in your life. But then you also feel completely alone because you have to hide who you really are. And, uh, my vision of the church is much more a place where you bring your shortcomings, you bring mm. your sin, you bring your shame, you leave it at the foot of the cross, but you don't yeah. pretend that it's not there. I mean, yeah. you get to acknowledge it. You get to lay it down in front of a God that can actually do something about it. Um, I think that's a beautiful, just the act of, 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 of that. If that's yeah. all we do on Sunday, and I think there's a lot of other things we do on Sundays. Yeah. That's a counterintuitive thing. Now, getting people to church, getting them in the door, that's a different story. I mean, that the book is trying to at least till that soil. Yeah. Um. So I I don't I, and I I think that we we lead with our um with our frailty. You know, the, yeah. the strength and weakness is is truly. It's not just a nice verse in the Bible. I think it's the key to the mm. ministry in the Christian life.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of James 5.16. It says, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. As we we pray for each other, as we confess um, our shortcomings, our frailty, the things that we just can't live up to, um, it actually says we're going to be healed. So Mm. that actually openness and vulnerability um, and being real with like, hey, this is where I fall short. Where do you fall short? Uh, that says that's where healing comes from.
1: Yeah, it's th- it's not a sort of a thing. Well, hey, that's not a shortcoming. You know, it's not like a yeah. sort of an affirmation thing where it's like, oh, that's nothing. It doesn't minimize. It says, hey, you know, that 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 is painful, and I I want to I say I see that as probably painful for the people you live with. You know, yeah, if that particular shortcoming, and yet. Um, here we are. We believe that God is in control, and that God is a, is is forgiving, and uh, we can mediate that to one to another. But also, we can look to the Holy Spirit for hope and healing, and um, yeah, also a way forward where we don't see one. And I I really that what a gift that 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 is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. church, unfortunately, often as we know, becomes another place to sort of demonstrate your virtue or your strength, your spiritual strength. And we we see what happens when that becomes the MO. I mean, it's just, it just creates uh, alienation and, yeah. and double lives <laughs> and things like that.
0: And you give a good example, I think, of what that looks like through Alcoholics Anonymous um, as they're actually being real, uh, who they are, confessing what they have done, and they find that community that they could walk with. How does Alcoholics Anonymous and the model that they actually Present and they are. How does that help us uh, in our life?
1: Well, it's again, it's the counterintuitive truth at the heart of this book that a view of human nature. Uh, in this case, I'm an addict. I'm I'm Dave, and I'm an addict. Or by, uh, uh, and everyone says hi, Dave. You know, um, <laughs> you're welcomed here at in full view of what you really are, um, and then you, you sort of never. As long as you attend an AA meeting, you're always that person. It's not yeah. like you graduate from it, and yet, and yet, you can uh, there's there's you, know, you see the person who's you know 40 years sober and thought they were gonna they were gonna be dead, and you see God's m- miracles in their in tran- actual transformation happening while the person is still saying. Mm-hmm. I'm still an addict. What they they're giving all the credit to God. Yeah. And this is it's and that is sort of strengthening for the other people in the room. And um, and yes, they talk about ways they can support each other, and there's this whole system of kind of, you know, inventories and um kind of a sort mm-hmm. of a secularized absolution. But ultimately AA is effective, I think, because it really does look to God in its in its way. Yeah. And it's not demanding some sort of progress uh that you would stop being an an addict, and eat, mm. but while also holding out the hope of sobriety, yep. which if 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 you look at it, it's got this amazing miraculous track record.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, it is a miracle as they're actually moving to a better place that could actually have uh, healed relationships and healed uh, life that they could live in in a a different way. Um, you know, I'd love for us to just hit a little bit on on parenting. Uh, hmm. With this view, I think I've I was parented in a way where it was a high anthropology view. It was I I was told that I was the best, you know, growing up over and over again. It's not I was so looking back. I'm like, the, I mean, the best intentions. My parents had the absolute best intentions. They saw me, they love me. They're like, you are the best, and I I yes. really believe that. They believe that, right? And now, as I'm a father and I have my five year old you know it's hard not to get into that space and say, "Hey, you're the best." You're because I don't. I love him inc- so much that I want to just prop him up and say, "You're the best." So how do we? How do we parents and and walk with uh, with our children through this low anthropology view so that they have a a right view of themselves and the relationship mm-hmm. to the world and others
1: that's a I mean that this is the the you know five million dollar question uh and I think that um but those people so they're are different if you're you're some people hear this and hear again an invitation to shame or sort of bad self-esteem and like yeah. that I'm supposed to tell my children that they stink or that they're not capable of anything good that's not a low anthropology <laughs> yeah. a low anthropology simply says that the good exists along with the bad and mm. that you're not purely one thing or another um and so if you're, if you're brought up with a kind of a, you, you stink, you're, you're, you're uh, some mammoth. No, some rejection uh, for around you that, that creates a real uh, a terrible um, situation yeah. emotionally, spiritually for, for a human being. And, and maybe they, they need to know that certainly that God uh, loves them and that they, they are, they have been born with God has given them gifts that they can use in, in all sorts of ways. Um, I was born in a similar situation to you. And although I have wonderful sort of Christian parents, like I was certainly went to schools where it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're wonderful. Like you were special. Go yeah. out and get it. Reach for the stars. The world's your oyster. And what that does is it creates a different type of anxiety because you get out and you realize, well, uh, then you fall on your face. and You're like, maybe I'm not who they told me I was or, or am I the only I'm the only one. I'm the only one I was, I am the exception to the rule and all my other friends are killing it. And that creates a different type of anxiety, but I think, a, 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 um, and perhaps a less despondent type, but a very, very poisonous type Mm -hmm. as well. Um, that, that, that kind of perfection, it it creates perfectionism and burnout As well as loneliness, and that's what we see in a, in a large swath of American culture that does not, that refuses to broach any kind of, uh, or to embrace any kind of limits or um, or self centeredness. Basically, saying actually, you are going to struggle with this. So, in terms of a, I think a parent, um, a, a gracious parent is someone who encourages the best, but is not surprised by the worst. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's, um, you, you, you don't set the child up for, um, you you do what you can not to, um, connect their self-worth with their success Mm. as much as you can, Mm -hmm. while also, um, finding the places where God has given them gifts and talents and sort of encouraging that. Yeah. so i i think a parent needs to be a yes m- mostly most of the time to their child uh, but i also think it becomes a no if if it's a sort of a superficial yes mm. now that's not a um that's not pre- necessarily prescriptive uh but we 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 what do we want as for our children we want we want not only for them to flourish, but we also want to be the phone call they make when they wreck the car, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. We want them to feel like they can come to us with their actual problems. Yep. So if you've told them that their people like us don't have those sorts of problems, or if you've sort of said, well, deal with it on your own, or if you've said like, you know, you better not mess up. I mean, there's, there's, there's all sorts of prohibitions that can be read in that way. Like I've wrecked the car. I better run from my dad versus mm-hmm. I have wrecked the car. I better call my dad. Like that's a, um, and I think that has to do again with leading with our, with our own transparency um, within reason, you know, you, right. you're, you're, you're open with your kids and you, you, you make sure that they're not seeing some sort of shining night, uh, but yeah. also an actual person. Um, and, and that you are the, you are the place they can run to when, um, and certainly that God is the arms they can run to when, when things don't go as planned and when yeah. in fact they're, they're, com- and they're complicit in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. It just even, you know, I was going the other day to take my son to swim lessons and he was, he was crying. He was really scared to, to go through it. And I actually had to confess and tell them, tell him that I get scared too. And I, you know, I have fear and there's times in my life where there, it, I don't feel like actually doing what I need to be doing. And so what do I do? You know, I pray for strength and I, I ask the Lord to give me that strength to be able to move forward in it. And we were able to, to To do that, pray together. But I think even just opening that little piece up f- to my five-year-old and the first thing he said was, really? <laughs> you yeah. get scared? You know, you, the, the children have that high view of their parents like they're, you know, superheroes at the very beginning of their life. And then things switch of course um, I don't know but if we, I'm we looking forward to, to have... the switch
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't want the bloom to fall to fall off the rose but no. you, you want to give them a sense of security like you've yep. got it you know you're in con- yeah. you're in control here they can rest at night but at the same time um, you are not God <laughs> you <Yep>. know <laughs> That's, yeah. and that if they put, put you on that pedestal um, it's going to be a long fall hmm.
0: and it reminds me you know of Jesus when Uh, As he's walking on earth, there's a a huge, gracious view for non-believers, for for Mm pre-believers, as he's basically saying, you're you. The woman caught in adultery says, you know, where are your accusers? Do they not condemn you? They said they're gone. They said, well, neither do I condemn you. But Mm -hmm. then he goes around and says, go and sin no more. So. This gracious view and this this grace filled love that Jesus has, he has there, and then he says your life can actually transform through that and actually get mm-hmm. better, um, and then to the religious elites, the Pharisees, he's you know calling them whitewashed tombs. Like you have this self righteousness view of yourself, um, and saying, well, you actually need to humble yourselves, mm-hmm. um, and so humility is is there. How do you see Jesus playing this out throughout his ministry and and what he's been doing?
1: Well, certainly, Jesus was um, very uh, uh, concerned with um, poking holes in the righteousness. The people that he came into real conflict with were the ones who thought that they, who had a high anthropology, who thought that they were um, better. Than that we that we were the good kind of people and those are the bad kind of people those lepers those sinners those tax collectors those you know pr- prostitutes what have you like there was a lot of finger pointing and he was almost nothing but sort of gracious and uh, you know uh, and 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 inviting with those whose who life had punctured their facades of of holiness and I think that that should tell us something. I think people who've, who have, who life has sort of ingrained with the low anthropology tend to actually be very open to the, uh, Jesus, uh, and, and mm-hmm. to see the comfort that he brings. And those with a high anthropology don't want him to take something away from them that they feel they've earned. Um, and you know, I, I, I use the various talent, uh, the various parables in the book, uh, you know, not, not hopefully in an overbearing way, but, uh, but I do want to show that Jesus is the one on whom they can cast their care, on whom we can cast our cares, and yeah. who actually does, again, provide a way forward. Who doesn't, you know, who who invites people into something based on that th- that is not or that's not ignorant of their low anthropology, but that is a you know, in Him there is all measure of goodness and joy and yeah. future to be had. And trust trust in God, who God who 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 knows what we cannot know, and is is certain where we're uncertain, and is powerful where we're powerless. And I think um, Jesus Himself is is uh, there, there's no like for I, I will I don't want to imply that there's some formulas that He's following because I think that He's creative in His ministry, and every time you think you got Him pinned down, He kind of <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> takes a left turn or something. But uh, the pattern that I see is much more that he, those with the low anthropology see him for who he is. Peter is the one, the, the great failure of all time. He's yeah. the one who confesses you are the Christ, the son of the most high. And um, I don't think it's it's a coincidence that he's also the one who is constantly failing to live up to his uh, own virtues, you know, or and just... Mm. And who ends up denying Christ. I mean, it's, and then that denial, again, is not uh, grounds for dismissal. It's sort of the grounds on which Christ in, invites him into more responsibility and ministry and feed my sh- lambs and, and. Yeah. Uh, but and doesn't ignore you. it. He doesn't, he doesn't wipe it. He doesn't, he doesn't yeah. sort of act like it didn't happen. That's what's yeah. so beautiful about it.
0: Well, he gets into that conversation uh, with Peter, just asking, do you love me? Um, and that's a totally different, different way than what we call people out and say, you know, you did this wrong. You need to repent. Um, yeah. You just do you love me, and then feed my sheep. But this is what, actually, changing your mind and changing your direction and changing the way that you live, is actually going to to be the repentance that I'm seeking. But it's through that do you love me, um, and this relationship, I this it's this relationship is love. actually. All about love and it was healed through right a barbecue on the beach. You know, it was like, here let's I'm cooking some fish for you, some bread. We're gonna come in, have this conversation about about love over, you know, fish and, and bread. And it's uh it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to say, hey, I think this is something where And for for me, if I'm going to interact with somebody that have screwed up and messed up and I'm just like I'm heartbroken, how do I actually get to this place of forgiveness and get to this place where we're okay again? Is Mm. there a place of love that we can get past whatever brokenness we have in our relationship or with one another? Um, It's a good example.
1: That's a beautiful example. I mean, and there are times when we just can't. And I think that even in that place, God can, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, 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 I hope there's always a way forward for people who are alienated from one another. But I also see that God can deal with those for whom the, we, we don't have that endless capacity to forgive Um but God has endless capacity to forgive us yeah. out of which flows, I think a deeper capacity to forgive other people. So <laughs> it's like, a, it's this beautiful circular spirit led process. Mm-hmm. But that, that episode on the beach, I was talking about it with someone yesterday and just thinking to myself, it's, it's just amazing that uh, in fact, what qualifies, it qualifies is maybe the wrong word, but what the failure and, and the, 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 it's a premeditated. I mean, Jesus tells him he's going to do it, and then he denies him three yeah. times. I mean, it's it's like there's no excuses. It's you know, it's not a well, I didn't know. You know, it, there's no it, that he knows that the way that love works is that you, we love people who have seen us at our worst and still. Mm-hmm. Uh, still haven't turned their face away, and where is that more evidence than with Peter? I mean, J- yeah. Jesus is he, he all he—he he wants to know if Peter still loves him, uh, because a, a love forged on that ground of sin, uh, yeah. essentially, is going to be s- pretty solid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. I, you know, I love that you—you you give an example of uh, of. You know, season one of Ted Lasso, uh, coming in is you know in the in the bars he's playing darts and you know has that quote be curious uh, and not judgmental. Um, mm. I have that shirt. Um, I really <laughs> love that that quotes and being curious, not judgmental. Um, and so, how do you see that uh, that curiosity and uh, know, like entering into that? How could that help us in the uh,
1: non judgmental way? Well, curiosity is always a, a fruit of um, well, not only interests, but um, an interest is something I think is is a form of love. But it's it's always um, you're curious about that, that that you don't quite know. Hmm. And uh, we live right now in a time, and we've always lived in this time, but I think it's it's amped up right now a time of certainty. Everything's certain. Yeah. You're you're 100% certain. Iron, you know, warring certainties about not just big things, but all sorts of little things too. And so if you're completely certain about something, why would on earth would you be curious about what another person might have to say or another perspective? Um, and I'm talking about subjects as well as people, you know? Yeah. So I believe that um, that in that scene, the other man is completely certain he has Ted pegged and he mm. just doesn't have all of the information. And it's it, it's, it's wonderful. one of these wonderful things is like, Ted, because he's coming from the outside and because he's, you know, doesn't really know the game of soccer, he can sort of he knows he's got lots to learn and it allows okay. him to see things that other people can't. And in fact, to have more expertise and a deeper expertise. Mm. So it's not anti-expertise, but it does say that if you're operating out of the sense that I have 100 percent mastery over this subject or comprehensive dominion then i'm not going to be curious um but i would say as a christian i believe that only god has all the facts which means that there's always even if i'm 99.9% sure about something i have to hold out the even if it's theoretical the the idea that there's 0.1% that i don't know and there's yeah. always, but that also applies to ourselves, you know. Like, before I can make a definitive, final, and you know, incontrovertible judgment of you as another person, I, the, I, there's always one more drawer that could be opened. Yeah, that's how I put it in the book, and that, the same thing applies to myself. Mm. So it doesn't. Uh, people get nervous about this because they think, "Oh, are you saying there's no such thing as like any kind of convictions?" And not at all. Ted Lasso goes on to what he learns through curiosity, he puts into practice, and yep. they, they, the team gets better, and people transform, and all sorts of good things happen. But the source of his, uh, of his expertise of what it, or whatever things he's able to see that other people can't is a is a uh, grasp a humble grasp of his own mm. uh the limits of his own knowledge. And I think that that's something that's lost today. If you say, I don't, I don't know, or I'm not a hundred percent certain about this, or, you know, where do you stand on this, that, or the other? It's like, well, I'm pretty sure I think this, or this is what the Bible tells me. But if you're not a hundred percent ironclad certain, well, then you're weak or you're a wishy-washy or a flip-flopper, you're undecided. And that's just, that's become so moralized that you just Mm. get sad that it it feels like curiosity itself has been outlawed Mm. when it comes to people places and yeah. things. I just don't think that that's a um a necessarily uh, an option that's open to incomplete uh, mm-hmm. fallen brains and hearts. Yeah.
0: And I think that gets us into a, a place where we could actually look at each other in this polarized political climate that we live in that where I think people say, you know, if a politician has changed their mind in the last 20 years then they're not standing firm on their on their on their values and their ethos, um, and I say if the politicians has changed their mind, it looks like he's actually moving forward. She's moving forward in a, in a place that could be healthy, could not be healthy, but it's something where it's very curious to me why we get to a place where we have to have people that are are certain a hundred percent of the time in this area when there is so much, and that leads to so much fighting, like. I have the the right thing, I'm 100% certain. No, I have mm. the right thing, I'm 100% certain. And all that does is lead to fighting. Um, yeah. And knowing that we actually have uh, space to be curious and to learn new things actually can hopefully bring us together. Is that what you're saying? Can it bring us together?
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Think about it. Why would I talk to someone who I already know everything they're going to say? Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, what, what, and if that might be my spouse you know that might be yep. my wife uh, uh, why would i even have start a conversation i can just yeah. write them off or i can put them in a box and move on with my life and mm. and i think that, that we we do that and we're encouraged to do that through you know certain forms of technology probably but it's um it's simply uh, it it also has a it's also premised on an idea of the self as something that's totally static and never right and 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 definable even. You know, I think that the nature of uh, I talk about it as sort of in terms of doubleness, but people are not usually strictly one thing or another. You know, really terrible people can make beautiful things and really beautiful people can do terrible things. I mean, it's like a yeah there's that's the that's the confusing fractured part of life after the fall is that nothing is completely straightforward Mm -hmm. and um that i just i feel like that that's lost today Mm -hmm. um because you're right i don't necessarily always trust people who've never changed their minds about certain things it doesn't mean that you have to change your mind about anything but um and it, it doesn't but it means that just the the changing of one's mind period is not necessarily mm-hmm. evidence of a lack of backbone you know mm-hmm. it's yep. um anyway it might be might be evidence of an open mind or a sort of a love for people I, I don't i don't know exactly how it plays out in various lives but i do know that the the moralization of these things is not helping anyone
0: yes yes that is true and we're you know getting to this place where we're we're finally realizing that all of our upbringings and our culture has defined our worldview, how we see the world, uh, what we do, and we have all these unconscious biases uh, in us. Mm. Um, and so how can we actually start to be curious about ourselves um, and the way that we have been been raised and what kind of biases do we actually have in our lives um, mm. and something? So how can we start to uh, parse out uh, yeah. who we are?
1: Well, I think uh, bias is a great word. I mean, I think it's the way that the sort of "quote unquote" secular world talks about sin most of the time mm. as something that's inherited that you didn't choose that is usually sort of has a pejorative effect or a deleterious effect in your life or in the lives of other people. And part of bias is our inability to see it as such. You know that that's that's, that's yeah. part and parcel of it. And that sounds to me a bit like a curse. You know, mm. and that's 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 the that's the biblical language for it. So. <sighs> I mean, I'm I'm not threatened by the word bias as a Christian. I think it's a it's a, a helpful way to talk about these things. It's not the only way, yeah. Um, but the if we claim to be without sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and if we claim to be without bias, we are also deceiving ourselves. And a lot of our biases, not everyone has the same biases or whatnot, but it is part of the picture. Of who you are, that you have, and 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 part of the biases are the year that you're disinclined to see them as such, which I think is a, just another av- road uh, invitation to humility, yeah, to surrounding yourself with people who aren't like you necessarily, or and by the way, no matter who they are, they're not going to be that much like you, you know, like it, it doesn't matter, it's not yeah. these will mm. operate according to demographics necessarily. But we all have, to say we all have biases is to say we all have blind spots, we all have limitations, we all have powerful, you know, forces at work upon us that um, we cannot really see. And it's an invitation to collaboration, to friendship, to community, to, um, in, 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 so anytime you're interested in sort of finding out who you are or what you're up to, relationships um, you can't do that. It's not a, the, the nature of the inheritance of sin, the nature of bias is such yeah. that you, it simply doesn't work in a vacuum. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. it's one of the reasons I, I think something like as counterintuitive today as church, where you physically gather with people that maybe you wouldn't all otherwise gather with, is a really, there should be a premium put on just that yeah. act alone. Mm-hmm it will only become more counter uh, countercultural mm. but more important well
0: how do we how do we keep the church at a place where it is not going to be more you know in more factions like right now it seems like the church is starting to huddle together with a only people that think exactly the same as me I want to mm. be with. I know that you know, my wife was hanging out with her friends the other, the other day, and that's where she is. Like, She's like, I, I can't be with this other person because they think a little differently than I do. Uh, yeah. And so how do we get to a place with the church, and how do we keep that together that we are actually united in our diversity and not just united because of our uniformity?
1: Yes. I mean, we all confess a, a church is a place that we're all sort of brought there together by Jesus, I think, you know, that, that yeah. there's a common, common Lord. Um, and that is deeply important. But again, if, in order to sort of ha- even be desiring of a higher power or uh, God uh, or a relationship with Jesus, you have to have some sense of your own need for that. I think the church does something where it adopts what I would call selectively high anthropology and it mm-hmm. views Christians as somehow um different once you become a christian you know people become christians because they're so attracted to the forgiveness of sins and the sort of idea that god exists and might care about them and want to have a relationship with them and then they they get in the door and you sort of are are given uh, over time and sometimes subtly and sometimes completely unconsciously you're given all sorts of new pressures and expectations and and this high anthropology sort of it's selective because it sort of is only applies to christians and therefore it creates an us versus them dynamic, which I don't think is, is even, even if I, I believe Christians are distinct in that they're forgiven. And I think that the Holy spirit is operative and at work, but that doesn't mean I think that people themselves are therefore categorically different. I think that you, 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 you could you could you can have a higher view of the Holy Spirit at, at work in the world and a deeper view of your own dependency and need for mm. God's help yeah. um, and that would be increase the dependency and love for your fellow sufferers rather than um, disdain for them so a selectively high anthropology, um, is is something that needs to, we need to be on guard against. Yeah. It is it is truly heinous and it and it hurts people hmm. and it creates it puts them against themselves and it 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 denies the uh, existence of sort of ongoing sin in the life of a believer which is it often walls a person off from bringing their 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 actual needs to God because um, yeah. they feel they shouldn't have them. So yeah. that's uh I I I believe we keep uh low anthropology even it applies to Christians as well. Um, yeah. that doesn't mean that Christians aren't, you know, wrapped in the Holy spirit and God is at work oh, yeah. in the world and in communities, but it does mean that in and of yourself, you are still, you, what is it? The, the Lutheran thing, you're simultaneously justified and a sinner. Mm-hmm. And some yeah. aspect of that will persist until kingdom come, you know, yeah. uh, the the trans- the ultimate transformation is that which happens in the twinkling of an eye at the next yeah. age you know
0: yeah that's definitely happened to me before as I've confessed sin uh, to others and said you know I'm broken and they look at me like you shouldn't be like that <laughs> yeah. and it, then it it get You're me making to a us place uncomfortable where, <laughs> yeah it's uncomfortable and then it got me to a place where man I don't want to confess my sin I don't want to be in a part of this where they actually don't accept me for you know who i am that the brokenness the center that i am and so it makes me want to hide and mask up and say you know i am okay and i'm i'm perfect and it doesn't matter and we won't actually be real with one another anymore
1: yeah there's a whole lot of cognitive <laughs> dissonance that goes along with that yep rather than again church being this incredible place to to that our culture lacks a place to bring your shortcoming to to, to he, hear the forgiveness of God proclaimed, even if other people won't forgive you, you know, like yeah. you can reliably hear the the gospel, you know, um, no matter what what happened to you that week. I think that's a, a stunning, mm-hmm. jaw dropping proposition. Um, yeah, that that is, that is we are in desperate need of as a world that's just drowning in not enoughness and and burden and mercilessness and contempt.
0: All right. A few quick questions here at the end. One, if you could go back to your twenty one year old
1: self, what advice would you give? Uh I would say uh I mean it's like to invest in Bitcoin. No, <laughs> I I would say uh uh travel. Mm. That's what I would say. Yeah.
0: yeah. That is a great thing. It is a great thing. I love traveling the world. Um then uh anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend?
1: Yes, um uh what would I what would I what would I want to say there? Um I've been reading um there's Nick Cave is a is a singer-songwriter out of Australia who lost not one but two children mm-hmm. and he was also a former heroin addict and he's a deeply religious man and he's 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 written a book or with another person called um, uh, faith hope and carnage and mm. it's all about god and jesus specifically and how that impacts us in our in it's gut level it's visceral um mm. but it's also you kind of believe him because he's because he's really been through it and his uh life has brought him to um a, a profound faith wow. in the grace of God and the and the kingdom mm-hmm. come. That I just it it he's also so poetic that it kind of hits me. It's heavy stuff, heavy going. Yeah, but I would recommend that to anyone interested in how to make se- faith sensible in the uh, in the modern world. Um, wow, it, he, it's a real gift.
0: Wow, that sounds beautiful. That sounds amazing. Uh, yeah. So, how can people connect with you? Um, and where you're at.
1: Oh, sure. Well, um, I run Mockingbird M- Ministries, which our website is mbird.com. That's is a M as in mockingbird.com. We have a very active website. I'm the host of a podcast called The Mockingcast, which you can find on Apple. And uh, I've written a couple other books. Uh, but Mockingbird is the main way to uh, to connect with me. And, and uh, yeah, anything people can do to spread the word about low anthropology, that'd be great.
0: Great. So if you could uh, leave people with one thing, uh, what would you want to leave them with?
1: Uh, you're not alone.
0: Hmm. Hmm. That's beautiful. Well, David, thank you so much. Uh, it was a wonderful conversation. I loved it. And I just so hope that we could actually have a low anthropology, be gracious to one another, be gracious to ourselves so that we could actually view the world uh, rightly, that we are broken and that we are in need of a savior. And we, uh, we have a, a beautiful God that actually does that for us, that we're not God, uh, that we get to have God be God. So thank you very much for this conversation.
1: Josh, thank you, Josh. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we could see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shiftingculture, uh, you will get early access to episodes, you will get episode guides, you will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shiftingculture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.